Wow, that was amazing. There's like just this moment when everyone realized, okay, let's, let's, let's go back. <laughs> well, I am delighted to, to be here with you this morning. And yes, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. I am partially happy about this just because I actually got to hear this sermon preached a couple weeks ago by Pastor Scott, and the word has been affecting my heart. It's such a powerful message. So we're in the book of Colossians, and one of the things I love about Colossians is it holds up the supremacy of Christ, and it's a letter of encouragement. And Paul starts this letter off like he often does. He says, grace and peace. But the interesting thing about this is he's sending this word of encouragement of grace and peace from a prison cell. I mean, I often think about doing prison ministry, going into the prison in order to encourage those who are in there, isolated and alone, to bring a word of encouragement. But Paul has something. He has something unique because he's writing a letter of encouragement out of prison. Sending letters of encouragement out from prison. And why is that? What does he have? Well, the Apostle Paul has the supreme good. And that's what this letter focuses on. The supreme good in the world is Jesus Christ. And when you have the supreme good, you can write letters of encouragement from within a dark place in life. So please let's turn our Bibles to Colossians 1, 1 through 14. You can use your phone if you'd like. And let's see what Paul has to say to the Colossians from the prison cell. Read 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us today through your word. Would you open the eyes of our hearts, O Father? to see the goodness, the power, and the fruit that the gospel bears. Would you energize us, Lord, with this prayer from the Apostle Paul? Would you energize us with faith, love, and hope? 
And would you make us a people that shine brightly in this world because of the gospel living deeply within us. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So just about a year ago, a man named Josh Swain from Tucson, Arizona, noticed as he was going through his Facebook account that there are a lot of Josh Swains out there. And so what he did is he challenged all of these Joshes to a battle with these simple instructions. Precisely, 424, 2021, 12 p.m., meet at these coordinates. He wrote, sharing coordinates for Lincoln, Nebraska, we fight. Whoever wins gets to keep the name. Everyone else has to change their name. You have a year to prepare. Good luck. So guess what? It's just been about a year, and this battle just went down in Lincoln, Nebraska. Exactly one year after that Facebook message, people named Josh from around the country actually showed up and descended on this park, battling one another with pool noodles. The original Josh Swain who sent the message is an Arizonan. And in the end, the battle was for the supremacy of the name Josh. Who is the true Josh Swain? And there's a little irony in this because we know the English word Joshua is Jesus. It's Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Only the Lord saves. So there's a lot of irony in this story. And we love that because Christ is supreme, but we, we often resist authority when it resists supremacy when it's connected to authority. We're afraid that having a supreme leader, a supreme power, a supreme truth will actually squelch our creativity, our autonomy, our ability to be fruitful. But we know that in the end, in order to be fruitful, you have to submit to the supreme authority. So to, to flourish as, a, as an instrumentalist, you have to listen to the teacher. If you want to be a great basketball player, you have to listen to your coach to resist that authority. Say, I'm going to do it my own way. It, that's actually the thing that limits us in flourishing. So the message of a Colossians in, in a nutshell is this, that Christ is supreme. And whoever comes under his lordship will flourish. Whoever comes under his supremacy, his lordship, that person will flourish. This letter is composed of, well, this portion of the letter is composed of an introduction. Paul gives thanks for the Colossians, and then he offers a prayer. After giving thanks for the health of this church, he prays that they would abound by increasing in knowledge and power. So let's look at this, this prayer that he offers. Actually, let's look at the thanksgiving first that he offers. There's a lot of letters that Paul writes out there, and he's often challenging the church. But in this letter, it's, it's, there's a different tone. He's encouraging this church. He's identifying something good in this young, fledgling, fledgling church that Epaphras has started. What is it that he's encouraging? In verse 5, it says, You have heard before in the word of truth the gospel. He's recognizing that this church has received the implanted word of the gospel. They've found the supreme thing, the gospel. And he's saying to the Colossians, yes, you've got it. The word of truth, the gospel. But what are these markers? How are they, how's he identifying that they have the gospel? A word's been sent to him by Epaphras, and he says this, 
that this church has abounded in faith, love, and hope. You can read in verse 4. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, and the hope laid up for you in heaven, the Colossian church is on their way. He sees that they're on their way. Faith, love, and hope are the indicators that this church has the gospel. They have the supreme thing that causes us to flourish and to be fruitful. These are the foundations of the Christian life. Faith and love rooted on hope. Hope that Christ has secured for us eternal life in heaven. But we often evaluate healthy community in a much different way. I mean, if you look at Instagram, you'll see, how do you, how do you recognize if a church is flourishing when you use a social media or Instagram? You're looking for particular things. How dynamic is the speaker? How beautiful is the building? How, what coffee do they serve? Because if they're, if they're serving Starbucks, I'm not interested. How can you know if a community is healthy? Is it a huge following? How's the website look? Is it a beautiful building? Is the music great? Well, those things are all good things. And, and we don't want to ask Rob to sing off-key in order to be more of an authentic community. So it's not, not having these things, but what it is, it's what's underneath all of this. So you go and enter the community. Do you see evidence of faith, of love, and of hope? We've seen enough in the headlines lately to know that some people are, are amazing at communicating the gospel. They're amazing at building these beautiful, flourishing ministries and organizations, but underneath it's decaying and it's rotting. Paul is saying to the Colossians, yes, I give thanks for you because what I see is faith, love, and hope, the real substance of a flourishing community, the real substance of a, of a flourishing friendship community. And if you want to evaluate what is the basis of this community, like, is it faith, love, and hope? Anything else will disappoint. Anything else is just a facade of flourishing. So how is your current vision of community contrasting with this vision of community? What are you currently looking for? What are you looking to in order to flourish? What are you looking to for vitality? What's underneath those things? Paul says, Colossians, you have it, and I give thanks to God for you because you have what matters most. You have faith in Jesus Christ. I'm seeing love demonstrated amongst you, and you have hope. Your joy, your hope, your confidence is set on not what you have on this earth, but what is to come. Secondly, we see Paul bringing a prayer. And I think something, there's something interesting about this. He's commending them, but he doesn't just stop there and say, hey, that's, that's enough. I'm just going to congratulate you guys. You guys are good. You're, you're a healthy church. Awesome. See you guys later. He's like, no, I'm going to pour f- fuel on that flame. I have a prayer for you, and I'm going to pray for what you have to cr- increase even more. I mean, what gardener when he goes out and sees, oh man, my plants, my garden is doing wonderful, says, okay, I'm going to take a break for a couple months now. I'm just going to turn off the, the irrigation. I'm going to stop giving my fertilizer. I'm going to stop tending to the weeds. 
No, he's like, I'm going to jump on this. I'm going to add fuel to the flame. I'm going to pray a prayer of increasing vitality. So you look through this, this whole letter, you see words like increasing. You see all, you see more and more. You see lots of words that say, let's be vital. The Christian life should be effervescent. So Paul relates this healthy church by pouring fuel to the flame. And one of the things he does in order to add fuel to that flame is he prays for increasing knowledge for these Colossians. So Paul sees that gospel flame, and he knows that trials are coming. Obviously, he's writing from prison. He knows that the Christian life isn't easy. So he's asking, Lord, would you give them even more knowledge? Increase knowledge. Increase their knowledge, Lord, that they could continue to be vital as obstacles come their way. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in, our, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the church needs growing knowledge and understanding to navigate future problems. So how do we get that knowledge? Well, ultimately, knowledge is a person. Knowledge is personified in Jesus Christ. You can even think of the time he's speaking to Pilate and he says, I am the truth. I'm truth embodied. I think sometimes we get it twisted and we think of Jesus as an INFP, kind of just poet who just says nice things. He's a counselor. But Jesus is a brilliant genius. As we read on in Colossians, it says that it was by his word that the world was created. Jesus is the creator. He was the one early up there in Genesis 1 speaking the world into existence. He's a brilliant mind. He's all knowledge. He's all understanding. He's wisdom embodied. If you have the person of Christ, you have knowledge. You have wisdom. Jesus is the truth. Psalm 23, I love. I love thinking about Jesus as the one who walks through us through the valley of the shadow of death. We're often facing trials and circumstances in work, in relationships, in tragedy, and we're saying, how do I do this? This is too much for me. Well, invite the person of Jesus, the source of all knowledge, to walk with you, to guide you, to instruct you, to teach you. The psalm says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Knowledge embodied. He's the supreme knowledge. Like there's all, there's all sorts of knowledge in the world. And I encourage you to be a great student of your craft. If it's medicine, if it's law, if it's real estate, whatever it is, learn that. But know that the source, the supreme, is Jesus Christ. The brilliant mind of Jesus Christ is the source. Do you want to be a better doctor? Do you want to be a better student? Lean into Christ, the person of Christ. Invite him into your life. He's the source of all knowledge and understanding. What does it mean to grow in this knowledge? How do we do that? How do we actually do this? I can remember the turning point in my spiritual life when someone said to me, Tyson, the gospel is the milk and the meat. It's what brings you in and saves you, and it's what keeps on saving you. The gospel, 
Don't go a step farther from that. And I remember early having this amazing uh, experience in my early 20s before hearing that. And I remember I just hungered and I thirsted for knowledge. And I had this conversion-like experience uh, on a construction site doing labor work. And I was just transformed. And I had this insatiable hunger to know more about God, know more about Jesus, know more about the Word. And I'd play these old uh, radio stations that would play sermons all day. So you can just imagine the contrast on a construction site, listening to James Vernon McGee or whoever I could find preaching the Word of God eight hours a day, contrasted with a ZZ Top and ACDC and the other construction, uh, other parts of the construction site. But I was so hungry. I wanted more. Give me more of the knowledge of Christ. But as time went on, I thought, how do I, how do I deepen in this? And I began going to conferences to get prophetic words from people. And I began reading books. I would tell, talk about secret codes in the Bible that you could find if you just looked in the right places or interpreted it correctly. But in the end, I didn't grow deeper through these things. It was that day when my father-in-law looked in my eyes and said, and like I said a minute ago, the gospel is the milk and it's the meat. You don't move past this. You just deepen in it. Think about the gospel as the ocean. And when you're saved, you step on the blue water on the shores of the beach. But there's so much more depth. There's so much more depth. The gospel is like a chemical reaction. When a sinful heart encounters the good news of the gospel, it's like mixing vinegar and baking soda. A chemical reaction happens, and the sorrow and the brokenness and the sense of failure that you have conflates with the good news that says you are loved, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are adopted. It effervesces, and you begin to become transformed, and you begin to bear fruit. You begin to flow in this love, hope. You begin to grow in these fruits that Paul spoke of. Faith love and hope you can see an example of this in the bible and jesus encounters nicodemus like nicodemus is one of the social elites he's a religious elite he's a, a brilliant mind but he seeks jesus under the cover of nighttime i don't think he wants anyone to know that he's lacking any knowledge but he seeks jesus and he begins to ask him questions we know that you're from god teacher but help me understand grow my knowledge and Ultimately, what Jesus does is he tells him, I'm the answer. I'm truth embodied. And you need the Holy Spirit to illuminate this in you. Jesus tells him, just as Moses was lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He tells him the gospel. Christ crucified, raised from the dead. That's the deep knowledge, Nicodemus. That's the deeper stuff you're looking for. So when you have the person of Christ, you have ultimate knowledge with you. Jesus is Emmanuel. You have ultimate knowledge wherever you go, in the workplace, in your relationships, in everything you do. I encourage you and I commend to you, get knowledge, get Christ. So, so many of us, we're always we're wrestling as humans. We're trying to figure out what the right decision to make is. Well, what's the school I should go to? Who should I marry? Should it be him or should it be him? Should it be her or should it be her? Who should I, help me understand, Lord. I need increased understanding. I need increased, what, what decision do I make in this, in this job 
conflict I'm involved in. Well, Paul is commending the Colossians, you need this knowledge, Christ and Christ crucified. You need the person of Christ. And when you have the person of Christ, there is a freedom that comes. And if you're seeking after a godly spouse, make a decision within community and you have freedom to choose. Get Christ first, and there's so much freedom. I used to wonder, like, what's, what's, should I move here or should I move there? Where's the magical door, God? And what the Apostle Paul would say, it's not a magic door, it's Christ. Whatever college you go to, go with Christ. Whatever godly person you pick to marry, go and marry them with Christ. Whatever career or vocation you choose, go into that career and vocation as a beacon of gospel life in your industry. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. The second thing Paul prays for, prays for these Colossians is for power. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience, and joy. So power is what gets us through the difficulty. It gives us endurance. It gives us longevity. But you notice what it says. It says, according to his glorious might. So the source of power, once again, it's not looking within. Let me just pull up my bootstraps and make this happen. It's looking to him. Like I said earlier, when a, when a person, sinful nature, conflates with the gospel, it's like vinegar and baking soda. There's a chemical reaction when you bring your brokenness to his strength. When you bring your anger and hatred and frustration to his love tenderness and kindness it transforms you and paul says that the gospel is doing this all over the world it's happening all over the known world the gospel is transforming the gospel is a powerful life but we have all kinds of competing powers don't we what's your method for making it through a difficult situation is it Changing your appearance, wearing nicer clothes? Is it an Instagram filter? Is it making more money? Is it proving that you're a man through, through your work, and being a workaholic? What's your source of power? Once again, the source of power is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And the best way to come to him is to come to him with your weakness. Because he actually says it's in our weakness that we're made strong. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, not in spite of your weakness, but in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Where are you feeling weak today? Highlight that and bring that before the person of Christ. Lord, I feel tremendously weak. My knees are knocking. And I bring this to you. I bring my weakness to you. I bring my failures to you. I bring my longings to you. I bring my inadequacy to you. It's right where he wants you. It's right when you're in a place of power. So power and strength means fruitfulness. We're often trying to be fruitful through our works 
in our deeds. We're thinking, if I do this enough, then I'll have worth and I'll have value. But this fruitfulness that Paul is commending the Colossians for, it's coming from them getting the horse before the cart. You have the gospel, and the gospel fuels a life of fruitfulness. And there's an illustration I heard um, from Scott recently, and he talks about being in the South. And if any of you have ever traveled in the South, you'll know about a plant called kudzu. And it's a plant that came from Japan that people brought over here to stop erosion. They planted it, and it grows immensely quick. And so what you'll notice if you go in the South now, you'll see kudzu has gone far and beyond what they thought it could do. I remember as we drove to Florida for our, our trip in the summertime with my family, I would see a whole forest covered in kudzu. If there's a light pole, the light pole will be, you can't see the pole with a visible eye, it's just all kudzu. If there's a car that's been rusting in a field, the kudzu will overtake it. It overtakes the whole thing. But the good news is this, there's a redeemed kudzu. And when you put your faith and hope in the gospel, the fruitfulness of the gospel covers your life and everything that surrounds you. There's power in leaning in the strength of the gospel. So the gospel says this. Let's think about contrasting gospel and religion. The gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. Religion says, I obey in order to be accepted. The gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I'm empowered to obey. I have the supreme acceptance. Don't look to your wife for it. Don't look to your husband for it. Don't look to your employer for that supreme accept acceptance. Don't even look to yourself for supreme acceptance. It only comes from one place because there's only one supreme Christ, Jesus Christ. The power of every Christian. It's Mother's Day today, and I think there's a unique parallel we can see in motherhood and the gospel. Motherhood uniquely displays the gospel. I always wonder, like, why does, mother, why, why does Mother's Day get so much more cred than Father's Day? That's probably messed up for me to think, but, but there's a reason, I think. Motherhood uniquely displays the power of the gospel in this. When you are conceived, when a mother conceives, she knows that pain is coming, but she rejoices. She rejoices in that there's a child on the way. And she knows there's going to be lots of dirty diapers. She knows there's going to be a painful labor on that labor day, but also continuing painful labor. But she rejoices. And that is a picture of the gospel, my friends. Christ saw you. He chose you before you could do anything good or bad. He knew that there would be pain involved. And he went to the cross and said, yes, I love you. Enter into my family. We often want to get it twisted. How many of us, how, many, how would you react if you heard a mother say, sweetie, I brought you into this world and you know what? If you work hard enough, if you get good grades, if you obey me perfectly, I just might love you. 
you do everything that I want you to do, if you get into the right college, I'm going to accept you. And you can be called by our family name. That's not how it works. It's not why we love our mothers. We love them because they show us grace from, the, from day one. And this is a picture of the gospel. It is Christ, ultimately. It says in the end of this verse, it was he who delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Please join me in prayer.